Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hi. Welcome. This is Eric. This is Brittany. And we are for Color Nerds. We are. Yes. Yep. So, this week, sorry for the absence. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for the absence. Uh, you know, we had to take care of some things. Yeah, life happens. We we got some stuff going on, but, you know, It we're comes here. at you fast. We life comes at you fast. We rebounded. We rebounded. Feeling fresh, feeling new. Yeah, and it's like, you know, about to have this three-day weekend for some of us. Yeah, well, well I mean, three day week, passed. Four day week is yeah. what ha- follows the three day weekend. Exactly. Right. But you know, you you get what I'm saying. We everyone understands me. Anyway, so welcome back. This. We're excited for this week. Before we get into that, as we always beg, please <laughs> beg, plead. <laughs> yeah, please rate and review and uh, share with share the podcast with your friends. Yes, yeah, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your pets. Tell your plants. Tell your pets friends. Tell your plants friends. Yeah. Just you really. You really went in. I'm there. just like, let's cover all the bases. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, forcolornerds.com. Share us on iTunes. Tell us how you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can reach out to the website. Sign yeah. up for the newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. And also, like, any place where you find social media, if you type in for colored nerds, we there. Oh, and when people put together a list of uh, podcasts, oh, you know, yeah, no. maybe yeah, suggest us in the suggest comments. Suggest us. Suggest hey. us. Beautiful list. It was a great, there was a list recently put together by BuzzFeed. Yes. Awesome. Awesome list. Lots of great podcasts that we're big fans of. But we want we want to be on a list someday. <laughs> we, we have dreams. We're not just doing this we, to keep our vocal cords lubricated. So we got dreams, too. Yeah. No, but, but yes. So please share. Please tell tell folks yeah. about us. We're trying to put the word out ourselves, but you know we always need your help. Yep. All right. So this week, this week, a lot of shit popping. Lot big, big, big shit popping. Poppin'. Drake, Drake, Kendrick, Kendrick, Big Sean. Okay. Kanye. Let's, let's throw him a bone. Okay. Everybody put out new music. Yeah. Now the reason we're here is actually to talk about Kendrick. Um, Black of the Berry. Black of the Berry. Man. Now, when the, the day that shit came out, okay, so it was because he fucked us up because it was the end of a work day, yeah. right? So I'm on a work call and I'm getting all these frantic G chats from my sister, my younger mm-hmm. sister. And she's like, New Kendrick song. I already listened to it three times. Like, click the link. And I was like, Oh, I can't right now. I was like, I'm on this call. Like, I, and I'm like breathlessly trying to get off this call at like 5.15. This is my job, right? This is yeah. my job that pays my bills. And I'm like, how can I get off the phone with these motherfuckers so I can listen to this Kendrick song? So I'm sitting there and my sister's like continuing to taunt me and she's like, 
He goes in, bruh. He goes in, bruh. You need to listen to it right now, bruh. And I'm sitting there stressed. Like I said, sweating bullets after uh, like five or seven minutes because I'm like, I need to get this into my system. I don't know what's happening. It starts popping up on my Facebook feed. People are sharing the link and I'm like, I can't listen to it yet. I'm still on this call. So finally, call wraps up. Thank you, Jesus. And then when I put my earbuds in, when I press play on that YouTube video. The world. It changed. You know what I'm saying? Like the heat, as you say, the heat rock. Yes. I understood. I understood. I understood. That's all I said. I understood. So, if you haven't listened to Black of the Bear, you need to listen to it right now. You should. Yeah, you should actually just pause this and, and go an, listen to it and come back. It's an amazing song, and I really liked I. I know there was a lot of people. There were a lot of people who kind of didn't. They weren't really feeling I. I thought I was an amazing song. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to that, Kendrick went on Colbert Report, killed that. Yeah, with that song, the yeah, untitled, untitled track, song. Oh, that was beautiful. Which was fucking amazing. Yeah, it was like Terrace Martin, Anna Wise, Bilal, Kendrick, and just like Heat Rock again, yet again, Heat Rock. But this song really, for me, blew kind of all those out of the water and made me real hype for the album. And even before I get into that, Mm-mm. so you talked about how you came into the track. Yeah. I gotta talk. I gotta share. Oh, I didn't even me. hear this story. Well, Tell me. Our mutual friend yeah. sent us the the track on Dropbox as he normally does. You know, <laughs> I try to be like, "Yo, let's maybe." Oh, I didn't, pirate know, this I didn't music, even notice but, that he did that. Yeah, but he sent it to us. I sent out a text to our other group text, mm-hmm. and it reads, "I'm gonna quote myself." Oh God, this is it reads embarrassing. The Kendrick album is in the can. How do I know? Because Cookie from Empire told me so. Look at God. Yes, for those of y'all who don't know, Taraji P. Henson, a.k.a. Cookie from Empire, a.k.a. a lot of people's mamas and aunties out there. Yeah. Myself included. <laughs> and girlfriends. <sometimes. laughs> and girlfriends. Actually, just to plug myself, if your mother or whoever raised you acts a lot like Cookie, you probably understand me enough to date me, so holler at your girl. I'm just not even responding to that. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. You got to keep... It's too... I meet a lot of dudes and their, and their moms... Well, they don't understand women who act like that, so they can't get me. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, um, if your if your mom acts like Cookie, is a good chance you and I gonna get along. Well, well, thank you for sharing. Well, try, I try. Yeah. Coming back to this, but I was I was just so happy that not only we just connected these two great things, Empire, which is like riding this wave of black excellence. <laughs> in addition to show I've ever seen, I love right? it so much. It's so yes. good, it's so good. In addition to Kendrick dropping Black of the Berry mm-hmm. with the um, with amazing album art. Oh yeah, the like, visuals. Yeah, I just it just spoke to my spirit. Now I listened to the song. We're mm-hmm. hyped about the song. So hyped. That said, it's a very complicated track. It is in a lot of different ways. Like, yeah. And there actually have been some really good think pieces already written about it. Well, you know, people love think pieces. Yeah, but these ones I will say were actually really good. I really enjoyed them. Listen to the track if you haven't listened to the track. But in it, he talks about. I'm the biggest hypocrite of 2015. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the over, the, the line that carries through throughout each verse. Yeah. And he talks about a lot of complicated issues in terms of respectability, cultural appropriation, or smudging, mm-hmm. if you will. If you, know, you will. Come back to an early episode to, mm. to learn a bit about that. <laughs> but yeah, he talks about all of these things in a very, like, complicated and textured way. But the reason we're here. We are here. Is for this third verse. This third verse, though. Now, man. I wish, like, honestly, I gotta be, I gotta be real. I'm nervous. Oh, are you gonna start rapping? No, I'm not gonna start rapping. Oh God, I can't I'm rap so though. <laughs> Let's just move on. I don't, I don't want to embarrass you in front of all these people. Anyway, the reason why I, w- I wish right now that we could actually play the track, 
I don't think uh, no, I think that violates like every, every copyright. Yeah, <laughs> especially because it's not even a real single. And people would come for us too, real quick, because you know we ain't we ain't nobody. We would be the first one to get a, uh, a digital copyright takedown notice. Oh yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> we'll read the lyrics. Well, actually, we'll read a couple of pieces. Yes. So in the verse, basically what Kendrick is talking about, he talks about how he's African-American. He's African. Yeah. And he talks about kind of the battle between himself, his community. Okay. Being a person of color in his community. Black person. A black person. And black as hell. The contradiction of, or his perceived contradiction. Okay. Between being someone who is against, I guess, violence perpetrated against black people. Yes. By the state or people who are authority figures or feel they are authority figures possibly because of their lack of melanin. Correct. Okay. That was well put. I try. <laughs> and so that and his violence perpetrated by himself or gang members or people like him. Mm-hmm. And Intraracial violence. Correct. Thank you. So, to, to add some texture to that, he says, and I should wrap this. I really should. Oh, no. Oh, just read it aloud. <laughs> Please. He says, okay. thinking maliciously, he get a chain, then you're going to bleed him. It's funny how Zulu and Zosa. Is Zosa? It's a click. I can't do it, but my sister can. Okay. Yeah. Um, Zosa might go. I'm going to just gonna say it like that. My, Zosa might go to war. My, I think Kosa might be closer. Kosa. Okay. It's okay. funny how Zulu and Kosa might go to war. True. Two tribal armies that want to build and destroy. Remind me of these Compton and Crip gangs that live next door. Beefing with Pyroves, only death settles the score. So, basically, to break that down really quick. Okay. You know, as much as I can. I'm I'm feeling like you're having a Michael Eric Dyson moment right now. And I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting here just... Just rolling with it. Oh, rolling with it. Keep going. Keep going. I'm with you. No, anyway, so basically what he's saying is, you know, uh, Compton... Compton Crips and Pyrus, which are, mm-hmm. you know, bloods, they are battling each other mm-hmm. as if they were tribal armies in Africa. So, you know, that kind of sets sets up what came next. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, this shit hit hard. Like you talked about, you were like, stole my breath. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to skip a little bit of, ahead, he says, so why did I weep when Trayvon Martin was in the street? When gang banging make me kill a nigga blacker than me yep wow it's like it's very interesting just an aside how delivery will change some shit (laughs) (laughs) if that sounded you you read that it is sounded like something from a church easter play (laughs) (laughs) i give you that i was like why does this sound like up mcdonald's 365 black poem i mean when i know that this is good (laughs) Why does it sound like this? I can't even be mad at you. No, I mean, you just ate Kendrick. It's okay. I just, it's, it's the truth. It's and okay. you know what? I'm not a rapper. I don't make my money that way. You snatched that, but you backtracked real quick. I would never, I, I can rap. I Stop. can freestyle. Stop. We're not going to do this right now. <laughs> but this line, though, specifically this last portion, right? Yeah. And at the very end, he says, hypocrite, right? That shit. Well, I already knew, like I told you, when he started talking about the two South African groups, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, I know where you're going. <laughs> I know where you're going. I don't don't know do I it. I go there. Don't do you. it. Like, don't do it. The thing is, though, is that as much as that, and if you go back, I mean, the entire, we're not going to read the entire verse. Yeah. The, the entire verse is, I think it's maybe the best verse of the entire song even just the beginning i'm african-american i'm african black is the heart of a fucking aryan when he said that i was already like oh shit this verse is gonna kill me and then he continues playing with all of these um different i think metaphors and similes 
almost like just exaggerating blackness, saying like, I'm so proud to be black. I'm so proud to be black. The same way that these two groups of folks in South Africa are fighting is not that different from the Crips and Bloods. And then just that final flourish where he has you angry the entire song and proud at the same time. Like so much, so much great black art has you feeling right. He has you angry, angry and proud at the entire song throughout the entire thing. And at the end, I felt like he kind of took the rug from under my yeah. feet. Where I'm standing there, I'm in the song, I'm nodding along, and I understand, I'm feeling it, and that anger that he feels. I'm like, I feel the anger, I get it, I'm coming from the same place. And then that very last point where he kind of equated what happened to Trayvon... With gang violence. With gang violence. I was like, hmm. we're not on the same page. Yeah. Thing is, though, the song still goes all the way the fuck off. Like, I can't stop this. And it's on YouTube. And I just go, I pull up YouTube all the time and just, like, go back. I'm like, oh, it's, oh, let me go back and click and and replay this. Like, I'm sitting replaying a YouTube video all of the time. It's that fucking good. But I think it's still interesting that, one, it's that good. And I think it's useful that it's problematic. Which brings us to this week. Basically, what we want to talk about this week is kind of that, that used contradiction of black-on-black violence, if you will. And if that outweighs our struggles against violence perpetrated by outside members. Let's be specific. Let's not say violence perpetrated by outside members. It's not like person-to-person violence, like interracial violence or in-group violence. Not just some random white person or Asian person shooting and killing me. Racially motivated violence perpetrated by folks who are members of the state in a way, let's yeah. say. Law enforcement, or as I said earlier, people who, especially in the case of like a George Zimmerman, yeah. he wasn't law enforcement, he was self-selected. Yeah, right? he felt empowered by the neighborhood watch. Exactly, he felt empowered by some type of authority that gets its power from its distance from blackness. Because mm. George Zimmerman wasn't white, yeah. isn't white, but he wouldn't classify himself as black. He got his power in that situation from, like you said, aligning himself with law enforcement, even though he wasn't a law enforcement official, mm-hmm. and also from his distance from blackness. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, I just want to make sure that we're not leaving any stone unturned as far as that's concerned. You can't come up and be like, well, George Zimmerman wasn't white. I, feel like, <laughs> yeah, I ain't got time for that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think this this notion of like, Black-on-black violence, I think we should talk about the inward perception of that first. You know, we've talked about kind of the politics of of respectability a few times. Just to give people some context, we touched on this in one of the smudging episodes when we were talking about Kendrick Lamar and the comments that he made in a recent Billboard interview. Just to backtrack, part of the reason why we knew that Kendrick meant what kind of what he was saying at the very end of Black at the Berry is because of these comments that he had already made last month at Billboard. I will say Kendrick is a very talented person and it's almost rude on some level to step in when he hasn't necessarily told us what a song is about and say like, this is what I think the song is about. But based upon these earlier comments that Kendrick made in Billboard, just specifically... I wish somebody would look in our neighborhood knowing that it's already a situation mentally where it's fucked up. What happened to Michael Brown should have never happened, never. But when we don't respect ourselves, how do we expect them to respect us? It starts from within. It don't start with just a rally. Don't start from looting. It starts from within. So that's what Kendrick said in Billboard. We we wrestled with those comments. But then when Black of the Berry came out and he had that final little stanza, those final couple of lines in the last verse, that sort of cemented like him doubling down, being like, no, this is what I meant. Yeah. I meant what I said. This this is exactly. So I know I don't want to seem like we're jumping to assume that Kendrick means something that he doesn't mean. He's kind of already made these comments before and sort of bringing respectability into the mix. So sorry. No, I mean, I think that's that's great. And it, it provides a jumping off point. This idea that you have to 
like don't start with protests Mm -hmm. you know like we need to start from within Mm -hmm. it really touches on something that's been going on for a long 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 time yes and it's something that's used to to erase to a certain degree the extreme nature of what happens to us yeah which i think everybody who's black kind of struggles with but black on black violence, you know, the the kind that he contrasts here is something that's always used to erase. It's the kind of that tool that people use to sweep things under the rug. Mm-hmm. And it happens so much. It happens internally and it happens externally as well. Interestingly enough, Bill O'Reilly, uh, around the time of the Eric Garner decision, he had Russell Simmons on his show. And so they were having, you know, I mean, Bill O'Reilly always kind of does it. He he. Bring somebody on and basically oh, talk like to them. Troll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but the manner in which he does it shows kind of the trope that you see over and over and over again. So he said, "We all acknowledge the apparent injustice of Eric Garner." And I think that's interesting because he says that Eric Garner was different. Mm-hmm. One because it was on tape. Yeah. So there's that. I'm not going to argue that because I think, you know, everybody knows that that's ridiculous because this is con- a consistent pattern. Yeah, regardless but, of whether or not there's video. But yes. Exactly. So, but what about the bigger issue? And so that automatically says, well, some shit happened. I'll give you that. <laughs> but ignore that because there's a bigger issue yes. here. And that's the astronomical crime rate of African-American men. Violent crime. It drives suspicion and hostility on the part of police who have to be confronted with it. Like, fuck. Yeah. Like, one, just because there is one situation (laughs) does not mean that another situation does not exist. And the quote-unquote situation that he presents as the bigger issue is black-on-black violence. And that's something that trends to show does not really exist. No, as a a phenomenon, like as a a thing, it doesn't exist. Here's a great story. So I was walking down the street the other day and I was FaceTimed by a friend of the show. Let's call him John. So John FaceTimed me, which is irritating because he knew I was walking down the street and who wants to be looking at someone when you're trying not to get hit by a car, but I digress. Right. So we end up, of course, talking about Black of the Bear because how many conversations did you start lead with this song right this week? So we start talking about it and he was like, what do you think about that last line though? He's like, I kind of feel like Kendrick was getting at something. So then of course, you know me, I have no boundaries and I, especially I'm talking on the phone, people can hear me in Connecticut at least. So I'm walking through Union Square, I'm on FaceTime. I had been on the phone for a few, like maybe 10 blocks at this point. So I'm feeling like I'm talking to him in the middle of my living room. So I'm just like making so much noise. So then I start going off about like, for the last time, do I have to tell you that black on black crime does not exist? I was like, so black folks get killed. Who do they get killed most by? And he was like, other black people. And I was like, white people, who do you think they get killed most by? And he's like, white people? And he's, I was like, Asian people, who probably kills them the most? And he's like, Asian. So while I'm having this conversation loudly, I'm on FaceTime, mind you. This guy, <laughs> black man in Union Square comes up. And he like I could tell he's kind of listening. And I said to John, I was like, fuck in front of me he can't be talking I was like I don't know what he's about to say so he starts slowing down to get in step with me right exactly (laughs) and he's like sorry to interrupt you but uh, I overheard your conversation and what you're saying is right so then of course I let him be on the FaceTime too (laughs) and I was like see John I was like intra-racial violence is just the lay of the land that's how it works for all people most people are raped or killed or assaulted by somebody that they already have a prior relationship with and a lot of people tend to have relationships you know in with one people way of their with same people color. of their same 
ethnic group. So it's not wild. One of the articles, probably several of the articles that we read mention this, black people still live in these highly segregated communities. So if... Well, most communities are, are highly segregated. So like, it's not just black people living with black people. Mm-hmm. It's white people living with white people. It's true. It's, it's true. You know, but black people still tend, we still tend to live more... Very close. With, yeah, very close together, more close together than other ethnic groups maybe do in the United States, at least. So it's not wild, as what, what I think Jamal Bowie said in, in one of the articles that we read, most violent crimes are a product of proximity and opportunity. So mm. you're going to look for them op- opportunities to beat somebody's ass or to mark them of the people who are in your proximity. Yeah. That just kind of leads you to one conclusion. So black on black crime. It's sorry, not I just thing. shrugging my shoulders yeah. like <laughs> looking like a, a real emoticon right now. It wasn't a, it wasn't quite a Kanye shrug. It was more of just like a what the fuck. Right. <laughs> We want to kind of clarify before we get into this, I mm-hmm. think too deeply, is we're not saying that violence in black communities is not a serious, very, very serious issue. It's not something that shouldn't be addressed. I think, you know, we all are probably less than six degrees separated from someone who has been affected by, you know, whether it be gang violence mm-hmm. or violence in, you know, a community where we predominantly live. Yeah. And that's sadly the reality of being black. I know we've both lost people. Yeah. To. You know, gun violence. Gun violence for for certain interracial violence. I don't think I know anybody who hasn't. Yeah, and it's something black. that we all struggle with. It's difficult to know that you know somebody who perpetrated a crime against you lives in proximity. That creates kind of that cycle, mm-hmm. you know, if you will. We don't want to deny that. We're not trying to say that that isn't an issue that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be looking into, and even looking into it critically from within our own group. We're not saying that we think that we should be absolved of responsibility for the things that are happening within our own community. But as far as the overarching responsibility, creating certain like conditions to make mm. things like this common and things like this possible and things like this rampant, that is not something I want us to take responsibility for, if that makes sense. We didn't necessarily create the conditions. To quote Billy Joel, we didn't start the fucking fire. Very well put. Right. In addition to that, that also shouldn't be used to inflict shame mm-hmm. upon our group. Each anyway. other. Yeah. Each other. Like you said, we didn't create those conditions. And we'll talk a little bit more about what actually creates those conditions yeah. in a second. And what those conditions are in the first place. Yeah. But those are things that a lot of times were perpetrated against us. So it's it's not something that we should feel that shame about. And that tool, that shame is used as a tool, I think, yeah. often to, again, as we said, erase kind of a lot of the injustices that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about that specifically, Mike Huckabee, you know, another <laughs> white politician, yeah. but someone who has a legitimate platform and speaks to a large amount of people. Yes. He said, white police officers wouldn't be in black neighborhoods killing black men if you weren't killing each other. Right. On one hand, the Kendrick verse, it's harmless in a way because it's it's someone, it's an individual expressing his feelings through song. So the song itself and the message that it puts out, I find it you know, again, here's the, here's the P word again, problematic. I find it problematic, but I don't find it necessarily inherently damaging. What yeah. is damaging is someone like Mike Huckabee, somebody who has clout and who has a platform and has an audience perpetuating these ideas, not just feeding them to people, but also being in a position to write them into law. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is these people who are creating this these laws and the laws in general, if you look at, you know, something like the police, they're protected by that. Yeah. They are literally there to enforce the rule of law, quote-unquote. They're using this protection, they're using this cover to commit crimes. Yeah. 
without being brought up on charges for them. Yeah. And if you think about black on black violence, they're using that as a support for that cover. Yes. For that injustice. Yes. Something Bill O'Reilly said in that in that exact same interview, he said the issue is the astronomical crime rate of African-American men, violent crime. He said it drives suspicion and hostility on the part of police who have to be confronted by it. So basically what you're blatantly saying to me <laughs> is that you already have an idea of who I am before you. Yes. Before you meet me. Yes. So you are already hostile mm-hmm. and you are already suspicious. Mm-hmm based on the color of my skin. Yes. And the the best part is is that when the shit goes down, as you remember with Mike Brown, when the shit goes down, it doesn't take anything. It doesn't take anything to then sell the public on that same story. It doesn't take anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if a young black man gets shot by a cop, knee-jerk reaction from people is, well, what sort of crime was he committing? The assumption is that if you're black, if you're a black man and you have any type of interaction with a cop, it can only be because you're a criminal of some type, which is dangerous. But it also continues to keep that narrative going. It's like you said, it's a cover. It's a scapegoat. And it's also like a smokescreen that kind of keeps the general public, which let's be honest, being guilty in the court of public opinion is a necessary part of keeping this cycle going where fucked up people who are perpetuating these fucked up ideas and not just perpetuating the fucked up ideas and feeding them to lots of other people, but they are then going and making these things into law, law which law enforcement has to support and law enforcement uses as a tool to protect themselves from what happens when they're unconscious biases or conscious biases or the suspicion that apparently you can just openly talk about having and hostility that you could just openly talk about having when those things get mixed up in a in a bad scene and somebody gets shot and killed then it's cool because y'all killing each other anyway yeah like that logic well it's not logic yeah it's really not it's It's not logical but exactly it's a complete (laughs) logical fallacy but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because the story sells. I mean, the thing that you talk about, you're killing yourselves anyway. They kind of use it. I mean, it's literally used to, the only word I have here is demonize. And that's interesting because in the Mike Brown case, mm-hmm. Darren Wilson literally described him as a demon. He said he looked demonic or he had these demonized. Yeah. And that, you know, when you use black on black violence as a cover, mm-hmm. you use the perception of black on black violence as a cover. Mm-hmm. And then you contribute to that even more, that suspicion, that hostility mm-hmm. by portraying us as as demons. Or it. When Renisha McBride was described as it by the man by the man who killed her. He didn't see her as a person. Yeah. That erases the ability to maintain empathy for <laughs> someone who's not in your position. Yeah. And like that's like fuck. That's like yeah. that's messed up. Yeah. And not only is that messed up, it allows this this cycle to continue. Yeah. It's more than just that. This isn't something that's been that that just started happening. If you go back, I think uh Tanahasi had an awesome Storify, or he didn't have an awesome Storify. He had an awesome run of tweets yeah. that was kind of captured in Storify. You should Google it. We'll link it in the notes. Yeah. He was like, you know, if you think about lynching, 
And in the time when lynching was going on, yes. black people were living in communities. They were probably most likely to be killed by each other, as well, we even just described. Segreg- you're talking about, we're talking about early 1900s, Mississippi specifically yeah. is talking about in these tweets. So early 1900s, Mississippi. Now we're talking about communities being segregated. Like, no, as again, a rule of law, black people were not allowed to live around anybody else but each other. So when black folks was dying, who you think was killing most of us, right? Yeah. Us. Yeah. Because that's just the that's the way things go. But at the same time, as you as you were saying, Tanahasi brings up lynching. He says, I mean, by that logic, we shouldn't have been fighting against lynching. Exactly. Because the greater problem is that we were killing ourselves. Yes. The greater the greater problem that. when you look at numbers was that we were killing ourselves. Intraracial violence, intraracial murder, that in and of itself is something that exists. I think we can actually just say this. It's a fact of life. You are going to harm who's around you. That doesn't make lynching something that we shouldn't have investigated. It doesn't make police violence something that we shouldn't investigate just because it's not necessarily happening at the same frequency. The main reason the Great Migration, one of the main reasons the Great Migration happened in the first goddamn place is because we was getting fucking killed. Yeah. It was too wild living in Jim Crow South. Yeah, I mean, he talks about lynching. He, you know, he calls it an act of political terrorism. It's a different type of crime. He even talks about violence committed by police officers. Mm-hmm. This is an officer acting under the authority of the state. You know, that's a different type of crime because this is someone who is supposed to be protecting us. This is someone who is empowered to literally be more in tune with what's supposed to be happening. Right. And chosen to enforce that. Yes. To create a peaceful environment. And they're committing illegal acts. Yes. Like, that's unique. That's something. Exactly. That's unique. That's outside of, I don't fucking like you for X, Y, and Z reasons, or you did X, Y, and Z to me, so I'm going to shoot you and you got to die. That's personal. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 
it's different, like you said, when you have this person who has, who is given authority by the state, given special training, basically been taught in a different way to communicate and to interact with other people. Because like, like you said, he's been, he or she has been given this authority to keep the rest of us in line. Yeah. When you're abusing that authority, when you're abusing that power, when you're abusing that privilege to maim and kill and murder and rape and bludgeon other people yeah. that's structural and systemic violence as opposed to just interpersonal violence like i said where i don't fucking like you so i'm gonna kill you those are two completely different things yeah, i think this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about the perceived lack of response from us on that <laughs> in terms of on that being you know black on black violence you know people also say we say sometimes and in addition you know kendrick actually kind of positions himself like that in the Billboard article saying, mm-hmm. you know, don't start with the rally, start with, you know, what's happening within. Yeah. But the truth is, we have been responding to crime within our communities as long as it's been happening. Shit, Kendrick whole first album exactly. was about gang violence and community violence and interpersonal violence. His whole first album was about that. The fact that Kendrick is somebody who doesn't even have an album, who just released a a, a song on YouTube, it was able to get the entire East Coast in a flurry at the end of his workday, right? Yeah. His whole first, his album, we talked about it on the show before, was a landmark of black art. His entire first album was about this. It was one of the biggest cultural moments of 2013, I think, was the year. So it's not just like within our communities we're having these conversations. It's reflected in our art. Tupac talked about shit like this. Mm -hmm. These are conversations that are happening at every single level of black American society. And have been going on for a long time, even within, you know, the quote unquote inner city. Like you you brought up Tupac. But in addition, you also had Public Enemy, which was massive around that time. Mm -hmm. You had movies like, I mean, if you think about it, Meteor Man, which... Often yeah. doesn't get a lot of looks, but it I was. I love that movie. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luther Vandross was a gangster in Media Man. In Media Man, interestingly enough. Hot damn. Luther Vandross. Who would have thought? The genius of Robert Townsend. But go ahead. <laughs> but yes, it was all about gang violence and a community responding to that. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, songs like Self Destruction. Yes. There was a, even a movement centered around that called Stop the Violence. Mm. Oh my gosh, Stop the Violence, Increase the Peace. Like, if you're black and you grew up in the 90s, you know that chant. Yeah. You know that chant. And even moving, you know, moving towards now, you have like the documentary, The Interrupters. Yes. In addition to that, you have a massive amount of rallies, mm-hmm. protests that mm-hmm. go on that go on in communities all over the country. All over the country. Every single day. You know, that doesn't get that much play. And the truth is, people aren't necessarily even within those communities looking to get a mass amount of press. They're looking to have results within the community. Exactly, you know? exactly. And it's interesting too, even outside of people who are doing everyday work, even outside of people who are keeping these conversations going in hip hop, we still have our quote unquote, you know, respected leaders about to bring this asshole up again, but like, God damn if Bill Cosby wasn't talking about this shit. Yeah. Back when we all still gave a fuck about him, do you know what I mean? Yeah. As a person, people were listening. I don't, I, I don't necessarily interact with any of these people personally. People were listening to him. Barack Obama's touched on it. If you name any black leader that's been hot, I hate to say it, that's been hot since crack came out, they've talked about black on black violence and have, I mean, did I fucking lie? No, and, and have tried to fight against this issue. It's been, like you said, it's been reflected in our art. It's been reflected in our journalism. It's been reflected pretty much at every 
medium in which we have the ability to control or influence. Yes. This is something that has been discussed. So it's frustrating when you continually have people within our community who are black and people outside of that erasing those efforts Yes, as if they don't happen, yes. as if there aren't programs like Guns Down Life Up, which is a program here mm-hmm. in New York. There are these groups who are working against this and people just act like it, like it doesn't happening. happen. It's unfair and it's especially unfair that you being in that community, going back to what you were saying, uh-huh. that Kendrick is somebody who made an album about this right. and completely erases that that's happening. Now, I'm not saying that he hasn't seen things, you know, and his perception of what his community is, is not something that he takes on authority. Yes. But all I'm saying is look out, do the research mm-hmm. and incorporate that. Wait, you're talking to him when you say that? A little bit. I mean... I guess so. I mean, I think you're asking for too much. The bigger thing for me is like, I I think he can say and do whatever he wants to do. True. Honestly. The bigger thing for me is... Everybody else. Yeah, everybody everybody else. So like politicians, lawmakers, average white people in the street, if they would talk to their brothers, sisters, cousins, and kind of be like, hey, 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 grandma, grandpa at Thanksgiving dinner. Like yeah. this one I'm talking about. Yeah. Y'all do it. Y'all gotta, yeah, exactly. Y'all got to do it. this kind of work. <laughs> Coming and talking to me about it. That's cool, but if you're not talking to your mom, yeah. you know what I mean? If you're not talking to your, you know, middle-aged or baby boomer age parents, you're not talking to the elderly people in your family, talk to the younger younger white people that you know yeah. and getting them correct, like, great, come and talk to me, but like, thanks? Like, I already knew, I already been up on game. Kendrick, I think, can do whatever he wants. I want the people who are kind of in charge to kind of take more notice and to stop lying and being on bullshit. Yeah. That would be cool. <laughs> We could just stop lying and being on bullshit. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like we said earlier, I do think that we should continue to, to hold each other accountable mm-hmm. in our communities and within our, in, in having these in-group conversations. But we didn't create the conditions that make an environment ripe for a cycle of seemingly never-ending and horrifying violence. So... I mean, you're right. And I and I agree. What I was trying to say there is more so, I think before we can even really convince them, we need to be empowered with that ourselves. So I think you got a great point in terms mm-hmm. of talking to our family members and our elders and convincing oh, them. Oh, I was that, talking to white people. I, I wasn't talking to us. Ah, uh, well, see, that's, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was being very real. I was talking to white people. I wasn't talking to us. But we do need to have those conversations. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I say that is just because they use... That one Bill Cosby quote. Well, you know, Bill Cosby said that y'all got an issue. I'm trying to say that. No, I know. And, you know, I think if we were a little more versed in the realities of why our situation is that is that way, Mm -hmm. then I think we could have a more solid front in combating that because, you know, they they use those little chinks in the chain to fight back against. it. It's true. I mean, you know, maybe having more conversations like I have with John via FaceTime. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you square. No, but that's a good point. As the Trayvon stuff was unfolding and as the Mike Brown, especially the Mike Brown and the Eric Garner things were unfolding, I did talk to some older folks, you know, in passing, on train, and my family, whatever, who were like, yeah, but echoing that same Kendrick thing, which is, again, another reason why I'm kind of glad that he made the song is because he said something yeah. that a lot of people think. So, so to sort of like crack that open and examine that is is helpful being able to engage each other engage especially engage elders absorbing correct information yeah and getting them to kind of see 
hate to put it like this because I don't want to I don't want to use the term media literacy, but sort of getting, you know, our folks who are voting and owning homes and retiring or, you know, at least in that older population who are actually involving themselves in the political and governmental process in ways that younger people do not. Those are the folks that we really need to engage because those are the folks who are sitting at home, who are watching CNN, who are watching Fox News, maybe who are watching MSNBC and being fed all of these different narratives, getting them to understand, you know, how the wool is being pulled over our eyes. That's a great jumping off point to talk about why our communities traditionally, I don't want to use the word hyper-violent because I don't even feel like that's true. What are the conditions that create an inner city community and one that has a cycle of violence? Mm -hmm. There's actually another wonderful refrain of Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is the ghetto is public policy. Mm -hmm. So let me try and get this together because there's a lot of different threads here. Basically, I'm going to try and give you the short of the long. We just take, for example, a city like mm, Chicago, which is known for being extremely violent and extremely segregated in the present day. Chicago is one of many cities around the country that was, for one, a place where people moved during the Great Migration. So you have a whole bunch of black folks moving in like, you know, the early 1900s and maybe through the 50s and 60s to Chicago. Jim Crow, even though it wasn't necessarily the lay of the land in the North, it was still generally a rule of thumb. Black folks yeah. were going to live near the black folks. It yeah. wasn't like we was about to go fully integrate somebody else's community. Yeah. That wasn't really an option for us. Black people are still living in these same ghettoized and segregated communities. And hyper-dense, too. Hyper-dense. Often in the same exact ge- like geographical locations where they were, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. A lot of, it's a lot of black folks in Chicago still living in the same exact neighborhoods where they had riots in the 60s, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we haven't even dispersed. We haven't even moved from those specific areas. So anyway, part of the reason why we're still where we are, by and large, in not just Chicago, but in cities all around the country, is because the ghetto is public policy. People, white people, working for law enforcement or the government or HUD, Housing and Urban Mm -hmm. Development, or any other number of government programs, were putting together policy, were enforcing policy that kept black folks where they were. You know, you couldn't give loans to certain people. You couldn't approve certain people for homes. In Chicago, I want to say this was called redlining. There were yeah. there were obviously lots of other different types of policies that were involved. Blockbusting. There, yeah, yeah blockbusting. Yeah, yeah, but you know, letting letting white folks know, calling up white people in certain neighborhoods and telling them that there are black people coming and getting them to sell their houses and yeah. move out to the suburbs. Like these are all things that happen not just in Chicago, but in Detroit, but in Brooklyn. You know, this happened all across the country. That creates, you know, when you do that and then you also fuck up somebody's tax base, cut their education spending, increase, greatly increase in a menacing way or uh, drastically decrease a police presence in certain areas. You're creating certain conditions, not giving people access to jobs, not giving people access to public transportation, not giving people access to food, not giving people access to schools. You know what I mean? When you're depriving people at this governmental level, at this basic level that sort of fucks them up before they even get out the gate. When you're deprived, you're going to get whatever scraps you can in any way that you can because a long-term life or long-term plans or long-term goals are not necessarily viable or they don't seem viable to you. The way that you make your decisions, the way that your local economy is set up, the way that money moves through your community, the way that resources are distributed throughout your community, the conditions are ripe for crime, specifically more violent crime, to occur. I think Jamel Bowie actually like did an awesome job of summing this up. And to use his words, he said, after a century of anti-black violence, 
public policy of manufactured ghettos, forced hypersegregation, state-supported peonage, is economic perilousness and heightened violence among the victims and descendants of those people really a shock? Right, like, <laughs> right. And this is something, what, when did he say, I don't, I can't remember which articles, it was, but it couldn't have been any earlier than 2012 that he yeah. wrote these words, right? Yeah. We had a separate conversation at a different time about home ownership, because we had both read some home ownership articles recently, and how difficult it is for black people to amass and maintain wealth, and how disproportionately important it is for black folks to rely on home, or how we rely on home ownership as the main source of our wealth, if we ever amass any at all, right? Yeah. We had had a conversation about the Carter Commission. Yes, yes. Carter Commission. Talk about it. Carter Commission. (laughs) Carter Commission was something that was put together during LBJ's administration. He contacted this guy. I can't remember his full name, but Carter. Carter was somebody in Illinois. He was a governor. Governor of Illinois at the time. Basically, after the riots happened in Chicago, and as the riots were popping off in Detroit, they were like, we got to do something about this because... These black folks is wild. They mad. They mad. I don't know what it is. They're just mad about something. I don't yeah. understand why. So they, they uh, LBJ was like, all right, Kerner, I'm going to give you some money. You can work with, you know, y'all can work at the national and the local level. Y'all got to figure this out. Y'all do some research and figure out what's going on. Basically, they found out, they released, I want to say the studies in early 1968. They found out in 1968, they were like, basically, it seems like they're mad because they don't have any economic opportunity and they're kind of stuck in this trap. No jobs. No jobs. No opportunity No for opportunity jobs. for jobs. Right. Bottom line wasn't necessarily, you know, they're experiencing a lot of racial microaggressions and it's stressing them out. It's like, no, they, they can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't have decent transportation or city services or the chance to get a job. They can't amass any wealth. <laughs> and mind you, people who were existing in the late 60s were only, what, a couple generations removed from slavery? Yeah, literally probably a couple. Slavery is still, and Reconstruction are still in the air. The Great Migration is just about tapering off. We're in the middle of the civil rights movement. And we're still not saying <laughs> that this unrest, this civil unrest is as a result of necessarily racism. It's like, no, there are no economic opportunities for these people. And MLK said back in the day, basically, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was like, look, y'all, if you don't fix this, y'all going to be fucked up. Obviously, I paraphrased. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> mm, mm, something about that was a little the, different. I missed that parasoma. Um, let me roll back. The I have a dream speech. I don't, yeah, I don't know that yeah. he said that. But basically, it was like, y'all fucking up. And if you keep doing this, if you keep denying people economic opportunities, it's not going to get different. It's not going to get different. Also, just to add a little, just to have a little hotep moment, I mean, in addition to his opposing of the Vietnam War, part of the reason why the block got real hot for MLK is because he started being like, we need jobs. They marched on Washington, not just for like equality or whatever. We needed jobs. Like this has been in the works for a real long time. Jamel Bowie's writing this in like 2012, 13, 14. And the Carter Commission, commissioned by a president, a sitting president of the United States in the late 60s was like, I gotta get these Negroes jobs. Yeah. Right. And we're still like, they're still looking at Chicago like, what is going on? Yeah. I can't figure it out. Oh, sorry. It just shit pisses me off. I almost no, slapped I you mean, just because I got it. Because you were just, you know, again, opportunity and proximity. I almost slapped you because I was so stressed. <laughs> Try me. Let's see, what, let's see what goes down. But no, I mean, you're right. It's not surprising at all. And it's never been surprising why these situations, why these factors exist. You know, what is surprising is the con- continual denial is this surprising? Or is it just frustrating? 
frustrating. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's not surprising at all. Yeah, no. what it, we can't even use the word surprising. No, like, I'm not surprised folks, by a cat damn thing these days, but go ahead. But what is frustrating is the continual denial of the ability to do anything about it. Right. You know, the ability to change policy to provide access. Mm-hmm. That that is not, you know, big bad socialism. That that is not, you know, no. communism. That's not going to change the fabric of the American society. No. To create the ability for people to access resources that were communicated as a part of the American dream. <sighs> the thing that we're supposed to be here for. Well, not us. Yeah. But that... Everybody I'm just here else. for the ride. Right. Y'all pick me up, and I. This is this is where, this is where we got off. This is supposed to be the fabric of our country that you know that we have the opportunity to be happy, mm-hmm. to have a place that is our own. Yes, and to prosper. Right. Throughout history, y'all said fuck that. Mm-mm. We weren't even allowed to like survive. Like, so you mad? Because <laughs> I can't believe you just said you mad. I'm just Go saying. Ahead. Go so ahead. you Go mad because you know because the. Because the block is hot. And it's something that we're trying to change. But things need to happen for that to change. The reality is our communities are getting better. Yes, crime, all types of violent crime is dumb. It's going down at like drastic, at double digit rates. Yes, everywhere across the country this is happening. There's a great article, like great, great great article yeah and it has, it has some some i have some small issues with right it. but it's called a it's called the end of gangs mm. it was in the um pacific standard yes it talks about the decline of gangs specifically in los angeles yes los angeles is known as kind of a place where gangs have really taken over within the inner city if you think about gang culture gang culture is always even visually references los angeles gangs. yes so if you think about, you know, Compton, you know, we talked about it even within within Kendrick's first. You talked mm-hmm. about the Compton Crips. You talked yep. about the Pyrus. There are a massive amount of uh, Mexican gangs yes. out there. And they are, you know, in some cases, in some areas, bigger than black gangs. Yeah. But interestingly enough, the LAPD recently came out and they highlighted this in this article that uh, gang violence or excuse me, crimes committed as a result of gangs mm-hmm. is down over half since 2008. Like... It's crazy. Carjackings, which were once thought to be like the marquee, you know, like the <laughs> gang class, crime. The signature. Exactly. If you think about uh, Mr. Society. Yes. Where he hopped in, it was like, yo, you need to come up off this, yeah. off this whip. That was down literally from 211, 211 in, I think, again, 2008, to 33. A year? In a year? In a year. Like, I mean... These are drastic reductions in crime. Neighborhoods that were once, like, you didn't drive down. Like, they talk about uh, this one this one uh, gentleman, in, uh, I think it was Tejeda. On Drew Street? Yeah, lived on Drew Street, mm-hmm. Drew Street. And he originally bought his house for $350,000. Yeah. He tried to sell it, I think, maybe six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And people were like, ah, I get $150,000 for it. He was like, uh, he was like, nah, yeah. Right. And he was like, what's the issue? He was like, well, your neighborhood is too bad. And now his neighborhood is back in demand. People are offering him. Yeah, you know, he's like, I want to move down. Yeah, he's like, they're offering him market value. You know, he doesn't want to go anywhere because it's now becoming a much better place yes. for families, for communities. Um, as a result of a variety of factors, one crime in general is coming down. People yes. are much more aware. They they have 
slightly more access to, to education and resources mm-hmm. to be able to avoid those things. You have programs that we talked about yes. that are looking to provide, again, opportunity to young people mm-hmm. to filter them out of the streets, you know, yeah. to kind of take them into places where they can channel their energies, energies and their feelings and, into and, and to not things. be distracted by the violence that's happening every day around them to actually be able to like focus on school and just being a kid and stuff like that. Yeah. And also within, you know, within the article, they talked about a variety of the different of the changes in policing that they had to mm. enact yeah. in order to kind of change the way that these communities were uh, policed yes. and the way that crimes were even enforced. Yes, it had to be a lot more collaborative and they had to... Interesting. What's that? I just say interesting. That's just... Hmm. Yeah, exactly. They had to be more collaborative. They were like, you know, obviously they went through, they, you know, they reco this shit. Yeah. <laughs> they reco this shit out of Los Angeles. I think at one point someone said, you can't just cut off the head and expect the rest of it to die. You have to go through. You got to find as many people as possible yeah. and just lock them up. But the second part of our new approach to policing was also going into these communities and being at libraries, churches, schools, getting to know community leaders, getting to know people on a face-to-face basis and almost lobbying on their behalf to the government requesting certain resources for those communities. Yeah. Very interesting. Almost echoes what they told y'all asked us to do in 1968 in the Get Damn Carter Commission report. Like, sorry, you couldn't see the face I just made, but I'm like, duh. What they started using, and Bill Bratton, interestingly enough, was the uh, commissioner in, in L.A. during this mm-hmm. time, during the time in which, you know, these things drastically changed. Yeah. And a lot of that was the introduction of CompStat. So basically, CompStat is this program where they look at the actual data, like almost, I want to say like every day, and in some cases, on larger cases, every week, mm-hmm. to see what are the actual trends in crime that are happening around the neighborhood. Yes. And they held community departments responsible based on that data. So you had changes, you had immediate changes within the neighborhood and how it was policed based mm-hmm. on those trends in crime. Yeah. So there's that. But in addition, they also said, we have to go into this community. Like you just said, you had these captains going within the community and then they found, hey, we don't necessarily have to be adversarial. We can work with people in this community to help change the way that this community experiences life. And so as a result of that, you found, like you, I mean, like you were just saying, it wasn't just people, it wasn't them advocating for things within their own reach. Exactly. You had community captains saying, hey, we need more community centers. You know, we need people to come clip trees. We need them exactly. to remove trash. Exactly. They worked with the community to make it better. And that's something that you often don't see replicated exactly. in other places. No. And, and like, I'm, we're not saying, you know, the LAPD is... is our BFF. Shits and giggles. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's not... <laughs> they they still ain't cute. Policing in general, as the way that we've required it to be, yeah. the, like the point that it's at now in America, it's not cute. But this presents an alternative, like a, an alternative working within the system as it currently exists that seems to be providing some type of relief and some yes. type of progress. No, that's a great point. Bill Bratton specifically mm-hmm. was brought here based on the results of that. And when you say here, tell them who you talk about, right? (laughs) Tell them who you talk about. So it was brought to New York. Yes. As as a result of his uh, results that he generated out in L.A. The jury's still out on whether or not (laughs) there will be changes, you know, or... It remains to be seen. (laughs) It remains to be seen. What will happen? The types of changes that will occur here in New York. And we're not even saying that the, the changes that happen out in L.A., like you said, are amazing. But they are... Notable. Notable, 
And there is some significant progress. I mean, they, they mentioned a poll that said something like three quarters of black people. And I want to say like it was like 75, which is three quarters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Math skills. Yeah, I know. So, no, it was 68 percent of black people and 75 percent of uh, Latinos mm-hmm. actually had favorable views of the police, which yeah. is pretty, pretty yes. unique. And when I say it remains to be seen, obviously, like I said, I have little faith. I'm just keeping it real. I don't necessarily, I'm not even specifically speaking upon a specific police department or even Bill Brand because I don't know him. I'm just saying the way that the function that policing or that law enforcement currently serves in our society as it exists leaves me little room to be optimistic is what I should say, just to clarify that. But as with Los Angeles, it took a really long time yeah. to, to sort of figure out how things were going to work. Maybe it'll take a really long time here. I do think that actually law enforcement does have a place in society. I think that we need it. I think that it's a necessity. But again, the way I would like to see it looks drastically different than what it is that we have going on now. But like I said, it remains to be seen how things will how things will turn out in New York. I think it's going to take a long time. It takes a significant change in the approach. It mm-hmm. takes a significant change in the thinking. To me, it takes a significant change in the amount and level of empathy that you have to who you're trying to police. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that empathy to come back is a lot of what we're talking about here today. It's it's us talking about the perception of black or the myth of black on black violence mm-hmm. and people using that as a justification in how they police. Yes. And so, you know, I think talking about the results that have occurred in L.A., are important. Yeah. And, you know, we need to find ways to continue that. Yes. And increase the amount of community policing, increase the amount of empathy and increase the change and even the amount of accountability to which yes. people are held Absolutely. after they step outside of that. Ex- exactly. Because, I mean, if you really get down to it, it is an accountability issue. The myth of black on black crime exists because... Our system is always looking to evade accountability. And it's, I think I said this to you earlier, it's getting to the point where it's obviously incredibly damaging, unspeakably damaging, but it's also incredibly insulting to our collective intelligence to continue to trot out this bullshit to like add more law enforcement or continue to make these damaging laws and continue to put more of us in prison as this fake salve for this invented problem, not the problem itself is not invented because intraracial violence is an issue because it is happening at high rates within mm-hmm. our communities. But they're always trying to like change our gaze. They're always trying to like pull the old like switch and bait and switch. Jesus, I was switch and bait. bait but they're always switch. trying to pull the old bait and switch and getting us to pay attention to this, you know, made up black on black crime instead of, you know, state violence. Yeah, Tiny Hossie Coates. Actually, he calls it the uh, the politics of changing the subject. Yes, the politics. We, we quoted the shit out of him this episode. I mean, I mean you know, for good reason. I mean, <laughs> hate, hate rock. Exactly. exactly. When you got the heat rock, when you got the juice. Yeah. When you got the juice, you know. He told us. I told y'all. You know what? Don't start with Boosie Daughter. <laughs> don't start with Boosie Daughter today. Please don't. But um, I see. I know I forgot what the fuck I was talking about. Bottom line, I'm tired of this bullshit of, like you said, the politics of changing the fucking subject. It's offensive to me that I have to continue to watch this happen and I continue to watch people absorb this bullshit. And it irritates me. It hurts me. It plagues my senses to watch people absorb this narrative. But much, 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 much more damaging than that is 
the way that we continue to suffer from like a lack of call out from our legislators and leaders in like actually asking them what the fuck they're looking to do. I'm just going to share with you a quote right quick from Toni Morrison. Black people are victims of an enormous amount of violence. None of those things can take place without the complicity of the people who run the schools and the city. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. none of those Mike things Trump. can... Exactly. That's what I mean, anything Toni Morris is. If Toni yeah. Morris had come up... If she walked up to any microphone and just said, free Boosie, it would still be... <laughs> it's just because off, off of GP that she said it is still a mic drop moment. Yeah. But it's true. Those things can't... Like you said, the politics are changing the subject. The ghetto is public policy. These things can't happen without, you know, without this, the people who run the cities and the, and the schools being complicit. Like, let's... Let's 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 engage more of that. I would like yeah. for our leaders and for you know those of us who are continuing to have these conversations to engage more of that need that needling that sort of rejection of this narrative and, and the asking why and shit. Let's do a throwback Thursday. Let's talk about the Carter Commission. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, no. And for me, I mean, even to come back to Kendrick, I mean, I think this song is is amazing. Like, I don't want to get into it. We you know we kind of both salivating for the album like rapidly. Exactly, and I'm happy that he put it out. Mm-hmm. problematic as it is mm-hmm. because it causes conversation like this it causes think pieces to happen and it has it has 3 million fucking views mm-hmm. yeah. on oh, YouTube shit, really? 3 million and it's been, this came out like what Wednesday or something like that I last, week? I, last week was a blur for me this shit ran together and it was tough but people are listening and people are talking there's, a, there's so much chatter I mean you know Drake kind of came in and stole it away he did a little bit steal away. but I think it's gonna come back once the album comes out and yeah. we know it's coming oh. soon Cookie told us. Cookie did tell us. So, like I said, I'm happy that that's happening. And, you know, and I think the important thing is us arming ourselves with these conversations and these facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the conversation, this actually I didn't even expect that I was going to talk about. But just a real quick aside, there was a really good piece by Rembrandt Brown that we both read on Grantland last week. I think actually maybe subconsciously influenced us to have our conversation today as an mm-hmm. in-group conversation because I we, I think we both had some issues when the Kendrick song first came out about who it was for or who yeah. was listening right yeah who was listening and what they were taking away from it I mean for context just interrupt Michael Chabon oh. Jesus Christ I thought I was gonna, I thought it was pronounced Shabon I it could Shabon? be wrong I Michael I, Shabon I feel like I knew somebody else who had the last name and they pronounced it Shabon alright I mean I'm always I wrong. respect the shit out of him as a novelist but motherfucker he posted on Rap Genius trying to break down the not, Kendrick not, song. The shit, the shit, I mean, like, not 24 hours later, he was like, I, Michael Shabon of Cavalier and Clay of Mysteries of Pittsburgh, will break down for you. Black folks. Black people. All right. Sorry. Please continue. Right. So that definitely, there are definitely some stressful points this week where I was like, who is this for? Who is listening? Who cares? Who actually thinks that they get it? Yeah. Who's talking to their friends about what Michael Shabon said? <laughs> What's going on? I'm stressed out. But... I'm glad that we actually didn't engage that because I think that for us, like what we can do, what we are responsible for is continuing to have these conversations. Like you said, I'm also glad that Kendrick came out and was real and said what he said because a lot of people are where he is. A lot of people feel how he feels. And I think that what's most important for us is to continue to have these conversations with each other. And like you said, to continue to bring these messages to the fore and making sure that we're always educating each other and keeping each other accountable and keeping each other in check. Um, so that we can buck this narrative. Yeah. At least we can't necessarily, like you said, we can't control yeah. how, what other people do with the shit. But as long as we're continuing to reject this narrative and continuing to engage each other on a regular basis about this, then I think that we can actually 
hope, uh, you know, for some type of real progress in some way. So I guess maybe Kendrick had a point in around the way sort of way in yeah, that yeah, we totally. do need to have, there are conversations that we need to have internally to be able to deal with people in a systemic way. I just don't think that the conversations are maybe the conversations that he thinks that we should be having. Yeah. I don't think there's any conversation that I need to have before my humanity is secured. And that's how I feel totally. about all of us. I don't think there's anything that we need to do. And that we shouldn't feel ashamed Mm-mm. as a result of the communities in which we lived in. No, we're still we valid. In. We just hurt to live. Like, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You know this. You've shown that you know this and put out an album about it, about how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, so we don't necessarily need to be ashamed of that or feel like that's something that we're less than as a result of because yes. we've been made to feel that way for uh, yeah just because we time. got just because we got shit going on doesn't mean that we don't deserve to have our lives secured so on that note thanks thank you yeah. for listening shit i feel yeah. kind of like do we have anything to look forward to this week i mean i think we do i mean i'm i'm excited to to walk around the six with my woes okay you're recording drake it's a good time. I'm excited for that. Well, know? yeah, I guess it. if you're feeling like shit after you listen to this episode, <laughs> Drake the, dropped an album, yeah. album slash mixtape. So it's you can it. listen to that and think about all the, the empire-like drama that's probably happening in YMCMB right now. I mean, it's great. It's great. It is a, a worthy distraction. Yeah, it's a worthy distraction. So, you it's, know, there's that. Yes. There is. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you. We're thank- glad you came back. And uh, again, as always, please... Share, rate, and review. Subscribe. All right. We're for Colored Nerds. We're going to go pour a drink and uh, breathe and sigh. We'll holler at y'all later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.